This podcast is dedicated to the memory of Denny O'Neill. Welcome to Funny Book Forensics. Uh, this is Dan. This is Greg. And we are here for episode 249, our continuation of Throwaway Characters. We're looking at Guy Gardner again. Guy Gardner again? That's like three issues of the Green Arrow. I mean, of (laughs) (laughs) wow, three issues of the Green Lantern. Yeah, we're not talking Connor Hawk here. We're not talking about real throwaway characters. We're, we're, and we're, we're talking about, we just keep going back to Guy Gardner. Well, Guy Gardner was an interesting character. I mean, if you, if you go back in the, in the Silver Age, he has okay. one story. Yeah. And as we said last episode, he's just waving bye to Hal Jordan at the end of the story and never knows he's supposed to be the Green Lantern and everything is happy, hunky-dory and, and the story ends. And that's it. That's all you got. That's what you, he's left with his his uh, his ten pack and his and his, his double Olympic rings and that's it. And and so now we're bouncing into Guy Gardner's uh, second major appearance, and oh my. he he gets a whole four pages. Um, Whew, four pages. That's like, well, I mean, it's less than the previous story, but it's more. Probably more it's got to be it's got to be this on the cover says is bigger and better so it's got to be bigger and better well it it is definitely bigger and better but that's only because they were coming to the end of the line for the green lantern comics temporarily uh temporarily yeah well temporarily i'm I'm sure green lantern just ceases to exist after this i see well i'm sure we'll get there yeah, we'll get there. So I we will say, though, this is a 48-page giant book, 25 cents. Whew. And DC was trying to cycle through their Green Lantern stories. And they were filling these Green Lantern stories and making up to 25 cents with classic backup stories. So uh, in this one, you get two feature stories. You get two shorts, uh, two about 13-issue or 13-issue, 13 13-page 13 stories. Uh-huh. And then you get a classic backup story from the early days. So they were trying to recycle some of these stories. And and let's talk about a little bit. Let, let me get you a little setup on this book. And okay. I know, Greg, you want to chime in, too. So for those of you that aren't familiar, uh, Green Lantern changes substantially with issue 76. And we we started last time we were on issue 59. So about uh, 16, 17 issues later. We mentioned some sales figures weren't doing so well, and we'll visit some sales figures toward the end of the episode. But what happens is the John Broom stories that I was not so fond of uh, weren't going over well, and eventually the book was about to die. And so, what? yeah, John Broom and, and Gil Kane and his beautiful artwork removed off the book. And it, it's interesting because I've got beautiful Neil Adams artwork in front of me. And yeah. it's not too often when I say, man, I wish we had the other artist. What? <laughs> and I shouldn't say that. I have at least three things signed by Neil Adams. I, I was going to say, I've been to, to conventions. Me. I've been to conventions with you personally where you have gone and, and, and you've gotten things from Neil Adams. So unfortunately I can't go back to the 1976 San Diego comic-con and get stuff signed by Gil Kane. It's true. 
However, with that said, yeah, we we had art that was standing up, but the storytelling takes a drastic turn. And so when we're looking at this, uh, DC basically hands off the book to a new writer that had failed miserably. And do you know where one of the ways that Denny O'Neill failed? I, I don't know where Denny O'Neill failed. Was it well, in, Denny in the Green Lantern stories or was it he, in previous? He got to write Wonder Woman. Oh. Okay. Are you familiar with the Denny O'Neill Wonder Woman ride? I am not. So why don't we talk a little bit about this before we get into that? Or talk so about Denny that O'Neil before we get into this. wrote Wonder Woman. And he wanted Wonder Woman to be an awesome feminist character. Aha. Uh-huh. And there's nothing wrong with that, except for the time frame in which he probably wanted to do this in, which was. Yeah. And I, and I shouldn't say it was pre this. This was around the same time. Uh, we can go back and, and visit this. But Denny O'Neill's idea. Actually, it was. Yeah. 1969. Right at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh Denny O'Neill goes back and he takes Wonder Woman's powers away and makes her a super spy. Okay. Okay. And dresses her in a white suit and basically makes her not Wonder Woman. Makes her not Wonder Woman, but kind of I I you know, I'm I'm getting a I'm getting a vibe that's very Wonder Woman 84 from what I'm gathering, but I don't know. <laughs> well, no powers and no power. Yeah. Yeah. No powers. Turns out the problem with this and we'll, we can discuss this in another episode. I, I Gloria Steinem wasn't really thrilled that her favorite superhero. Okay. Uh, was depowered. And so on the fourth issue, I think it was of Ms. Magazine. I'll have to go check that. I think it was the fourth issue. She has wonder woman drawn on the cover in her full stars and stripes costume. Mm-hmm. And that was the end of, any of sort this. of Denny O'Neill Wonder Woman at that point. Interesting. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I find it interesting that the, the take on reimagining Wonder Woman without a, like a, a powered down, I'm not going to say powerless because I'm sure she retained, uh, if not her, her powers from the Island, she retained her powers that she always had within her if that makes sense. Right. So, but yet a, she was a different wonder woman uh, and, and telling that story uh, was probably very difficult for those reading it at the time to, to be able to say, Oh, that makes sense. Or yeah, I could read that. It's just a different story altogether. And um, yeah, I could, I, I could see where it'd be a little frustrating. I, as a, as a reader of many things, you, you kind of want the, sometimes you want the, the thing, you know, versus the thing that you're, you're not sure of. And that's definitely the thing you're not sure of. And that's also what was happening here though, with green lantern. So Denny O'Neill takes over the green lantern book. And the very first is a famous cover with green arrow shooting an arrow through the, through the lantern. Just right through it. And we have an entire questioning of a Green Lantern's place in the universe, in the world. Yeah, it just shatter it shatters the whole entire the 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 psyche, if you will. And at the end of the story, uh well of course 
green arrow gets put into the story because they were like, well, you can have these green characters in your story. We'll just let you have green arrow too. And you, you can have green characters. And Danny O'Neill's like, cool. And since the book was failing, they pretty much let Danny O'Neill do whatever he wants. So you get this beautiful Neil Adams artwork in the back of the story talking about, Hey, you helped the blue skin aliens and you helped the orange skin aliens. But what about the black skin people right on earth that you're not helping? Mm-hmm. And okay. that's basically the end of the first O'Neill issue. And yeah. it was a distinct change from Green Lantern flying through space and fighting superpowered aliens and going to Earth and taking down super villains and going to date Carol Ferris at Ferris Aircraft to now somebody questioning his reality as a quote unquote space cop, right? Yeah. As to like, what, where, where do I stand? I'm doing all these things, but am I doing the right thing? Am I, should I be taking care of other priorities that are just as important, if not more important here? And of course, one of the consequences of of a shift like that, one is that you have Green Arrow, who now doesn't have his fortune anymore. He is now a social activist and he plays the side of, the sixties movements, literally all of them, but then he fails them a lot too. Yeah. It is interesting to see a green arrow, like, um, go from being that, uh, that, that rich playboy to being the, uh, um, every man. <laughs> However, you still have green arrow, dating i guess so to speak the black canary and calling her pretty bird and pretty lady which she does not take kindly to because where denny o'neill couldn't write wonder woman in the way he wanted to he definitely took black canary and it took the same idea he had for wonder woman and reshaped that character and we get the black canary basically that we have today she is a better fighter than both Green Lantern and Green Arrow in the stories. Mm-hmm. But she also tries to embrace another side, right? A nonviolent side. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's a really interesting way to take a look at a superhero and then powering, empowering a female superhero inside of these books. Unfortunately, we're not going to talk about that too much today, but I do want to set the stage for what we're looking at. We also are looking at an issue that's one issue after two very famous stories called the Green Lantern drug issues. Yes. Those were like iconic, iconic covers, iconic issues, hitting topics that very topical at the time, if not, uh, I mean, pointing out things that have transcended that time frame to, I mean, making conversations for, for many households. And talking about Green Arrow's failure where Denny O'Neill was was willing to go after different folks, he wasn't necessarily citing with mm-hmm. one group. The way he writes these stories is really interesting because Green Arrow goes about being this, what we'd call today, a social justice warrior. And yeah. he ignores his adopted son, Roy, Speedy, yeah. Speedy. and Speedy basically becomes a heroin addict. basically becomes a heroin addict. He does. He does. The other important thing about these stories is, is Marvel had done a Spider-Man story 
around mm-hmm. the same time that they chose to publish without the Comics Code Authority stamp on it oh. about drugs. Uh, because Comics Code Authority would not allow you to talk about drugs in the Silver Age. Police always had to be painted in a positive light. Uh-huh. Couldn't say bad things about authority figures. Right. And the Comics Code was starting to weaken at this time. Mm-hmm. And so DC actually ran those two stories with the Comics Code Authority stamp. And ran the story we're about to read uh, with the Comics Code Authority stamp, which uh, some of the Comics Code Authority folks and at the time the Catholic League who were reviewing some mm-hmm. of these stories and, and some of the other groups were opposed to stories like the one we're about to review and would oh, yeah. sometimes prevent them from being published. Yeah, I can definitely see I can I and I can I can see where they're that got their their hairs uh, up on their necks while they're probably reviewing these stories, but. And in, in, in the time frame in which uh, O'Neill and Adams were putting these stories out, uh, it was it, it's such a, a different time <laughs> in, in the world uh, where, oh, yeah, you can't tell a story like that. But this is definitely a, a, a story that needs to be told. When you're also looking at a Vietnam era story mm-hmm. and this story here is cover date uh uh, cover date December 71, January 72, which means it would have come out what three months before that. So yep. we're looking at a, a book likely written in 71 mm-hmm. and we're looking at a very different world. Definitely. The, I guess from you're looking at a time from the last book in 68 to now we're looking at full, would we say, American dissatisfaction with the involvement in Vietnam. Uh, there would be a definite cultural shift in the time uh, that the the two books were published. Uh, it would be I, to liken it from uh, we'll just say 2014 to where we are now. <laughs> and then, of, yeah, and then of yeah, exactly. And then, of course, you know, you have uh, Nixon in office, uh-huh. and you have other movements starting to rise up against oppression because Mm -hmm. if you could protest Vietnam, you could also protest other things. And so we have movements like to question the scourge of, of heroin or, or look at drugs in a certain way Mm -hmm. or to even look at people not as evil, but as victims of something. Correct. Or where, where, where are they and why are they not here? Which is probably why this comic book came about. And so now we're looking at the cover and I don't see Guy Gardner on the cover this time. I do not either. And so what 17 or so this is issue 87. So on issue 59, we had redheaded Guy Gardner standing over Hal Jordan. Mm -hmm. And And now we have, now we have another green lantern who we've never seen before standing over a green lantern who Looks like, dun dun dun, Hal Jordan. Well, it looks like Hal Jordan down there, and we yeah. have an African American man standing over Hal Jordan, and not saying that he would beat up the Green Lantern, but no. saying they whipped the Green Lantern. Now let them try me. And I, not to spoil a comic that's you know, well, not new, but you may have seen John Stewart before. In Green Lantern, in Green Lantern Corpse, in 
the Justice League cartoon. And of course, more recently back in Green Lantern comics for DC. And of course, one of my favorite series in the 90s, Green Lantern Mosaic, which I would love Uh to review with you at some point. That would be that 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 would be an undertaking, but it would definitely be worth it for the listeners, I'm sure, who have not who have not gone down that road. So let's take a look at this issue and we will point out uh, we want to talk about throwaway characters. And in the sense, uh, we're going to look at two characters were basically meant to be throwaway characters that ended up being major players in the DC universe, both Guy Gardner and John Stewart. And so we're going to dig into this a little bit. And mm-hmm. the very first story here is a 13 page story. And it starts with an earthquake. Oh, no. <laughs> in California. And we've got story by Denny O'Neill and art by Neil Adams and Dick Giordano mm-hmm. and edited by Julie Schwartz. Uh, and I want to point out two things here. Number one, Dick Giordano in 1968 uh, was draw was the editor for the Charlton Comics line that lasted like six issues, and I want to point that out because we're going to follow up on our throwaway heroes by bringing back the Blue Beetle, Guy Gardner's enemy in the what? Battle of the Century, and so oh, Dick Giordano is a big part of that. So I do want to note Dick, Di- Dick Giordano's uh, shift here to being the anchor for Neil Adams, and his mm-hmm. inks are amazing. So I do want to make sure he gets the credit, and then Julie Schwartz here who also gets some credit for making a major shift in his editorial style by allowing issues like this to be discussed in comics. This would have been not something that Julie Schwartz would have let come onto the pages, mostly to make the Comics Code Authority happy mm. just a couple years ago. Just interesting to 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 have that, uh, you know, to, to <laughs> be in this time frame. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's interesting, too. People forget how much of a hold the Comics Code Authority had on comics and and what could be published and what kind of stories could be told. And they were really going after the Comics Code Authority with these books. And in a sense, they had some free reign to do this because the sales numbers weren't actually that great. And Mm -hmm. so they kind of, they give, they don't kind of, they literally give O'Neill and Adams a playground to do this in. And Giordano, who had wanted to break some ground at Charlton, was, I'm sure, thrilled to come over and 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 be a part of this for DC. Yeah, and just be like, all right, let's do this. Let's let's make this happen. So we get an earthquake, and of course, when you start an issue with an earthquake, you know something bad is going to happen. Oh yes, changes are happening. So how? gets the manages to grab the lantern in the middle of the earthquake. Everything's falling everywhere. I charge the ring and Mm -hmm. we get to the next page where a little girl is stuck on the edge of an overpass. She's stuck. She can't get, she can't get off the the overpass. Everything is kind of just like shifting and falling and you've got none other than who coming to the rescue? It's not Hal Jordan. No, no. No, it's Mr. Gardner. What? The gym teacher? The gym teacher. That's wild. Mr. Gardner has taken his kids on a field trip, and apparently uh, times were tough out on the East Coast because he's now teaching on the West Coast. Or they took a bus all the way 
from the East Coast to the West Coast. Yes, they did. It's a special. It's a. It's a. Uh, um, uh, a a big old trip. They had to go uh, cross country. They were they were going on a on a on a on a special trip, and that's why they're there from the East Is Coast. It- Special trip, sort of like, I mean, last time we saw Guy Gardner, he was using the rings in the gym. Yes. Do you think he was coming out to Hollywood to audition for the Mr. T cartoon? It's too early. <laughs> A little bit too early? Okay. Too early. Well, maybe he was auditioning early, you know, is it prime time? Because Mr. T had all those great gymnasts on the cartoon with him to help him Could out. Could be. Could be. Well, in I'm this not- case... uh there is no Mr. T and there is no gymnast, but we do have no. Guy and he's out there and Hal Jordan shows up, asks the kids uh, what's going on. And of course, the kids take an hour to tell Hal Jordan what's happening. <laughs> they do. Mr. Mr. And Gardner. before Hal Jordan can even figure out what's going on, uh, the overpass cracks and a bus slams <laughs> Guy Gardner in the back. Boom. Right in the back. And he's a, off the bridge at that point. It's like over. He's done for. What he's, he's done he's for. Gone. But it's a good thing Green Lantern's there to save him. And Green uh, Lantern fashions a beautiful Green Lantern gurney for him to be on uh, with uh-huh. a very nice looking comfortable pillow. Yeah, because that's important. You need to have a pillow, of course. And Guy Gardner basically says uh, in classic Gardner fashion, I'm just going to read this. Do uh, it. Bus hit me full body. Feels like a balloon with a lot of busted light bulbs rattling around inside. And I swear this is like the inspiration for Guy Gardner's character moving forward for all of time. From that point on, he talks like just disjointed dialogue. I love it. I love it. And so we're four pages into a 13 page story. Okay, I have to say this. If you, if, if the reader, if, if, if our listener is listening to this and goes and picks up this book, please read this word balloon as if Christopher Walken is reading it. Yeah. <laughs> Make believe Guy Gardner is Christopher Walken. I like it. Bus hit me full body feels like a balloon. <laughs> I just, in my head, it just sounds so good. It probably sounds really bad. But in I, my I think head. it sounded amazing. Okay. I will, because of this issue, uh, good luck. Uh, well, if I mean, maybe you've been saving your money and you can find a copy of this one. I will make sure I get a link uh, to the DC Comics app, assuming it's on there, uh, so you can have it. If not, I'll, I'll link to Comixology so you can uh, actually access and <laughs> take a look at this issue without spending several hundred dollars on it. Worth every penny. It is worth every penny. It's and there's a couple of reasons why. So we get this, you know, basically the second canonical appearance of Guy Gardner here, and he is taken out of action. And yeah. a giant greenish blue head appears in the sky and <sighs> tells us we need a new backup Green Lantern. It's time for a backup. We need a plan. And so but who? But, but who, who will be the backup? Who? And now we get into some things that, look, Danny O'Neill was trying. That's that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. 
he was trying. He was working with the the confines and the 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 what what they were given at the time. However, the art is amazing. It, the art is amazing, and and the rendering of what's going on. Uh, but one of the things that that is is right up front is a scene with who we'd come to know as John Stewart and a police officer mm-hmm. and John Stewart standing up against the police. And one of the things, this is amazing how relevant this scene still is now. Very. And the officer immediately asking him if he wants trouble and presumably we're in New York and presumably being in New York, of course, even up to recently with the Bloomberg controversy of stop and frisk and police identifying people by race and just dressing them down on the, on the street. You, you still have this issue being addressed now. Mm-hmm. And here we have, you know, O'Neill and Adams, I want to say at the time, bravely pointing this out in a comic book. Oh yeah. I mean, it, and it's definitely something that like, I mean, you think most, most parents, you know, buying comic books for their kids or whatever people buying comic books, it's just, it's a, it's a funny book, quote unquote, why we call ourselves a funny book friends. It's a funny book. It's for kids, but this is a very, uh, I would say adult topic, adult conversation, something that's very newsworthy and very notable. It's something that, 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 is a, is a tough discussion, right? And it's not, it's not funny. (laughs) Well, and there's just, this book has the way O'Neill writes it. There's so much implicit bias being displayed because Mm -hmm. while Hal doesn't come out and say he is a black man or he is an African American man and I don't trust him. The very first thing Hal says when he sees John stand up to the police is, you know, maybe he's brave, honest, and has the right kind of mind, but it's also obvious he has a chip on the shoulder the size of the Rock of Gibraltar. And just the sheer notion from the white space cop that this black man would stand up to these white officers, you know, startles him and makes him think something is wrong. And you immediately start to get this difference between how Hal Jordan approached Guy Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, my friend Guy was hurt by a bus too. Now I have to work with this guy. Yeah. Who's got a chip on his shoulder, not to be confused with Guy Gardner. Yeah. And it it's it I think this is what one of those things that like I was saying in our previous conversation, uh this right here, this difference of character, this either you, makes you like the character because it gives them some sense of uh, enough difference and enough of a uh, like a that kind of okay this is their narrative there it's the beginning of that right the the genesis of that it also gives them the agency that like this is somebody who's not uh, there they see an issue with this question from the cops and they're going to they're going to ask more and ask why. And I think that that's, you know, for me, that's, it's, it's neither. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm interested now. I want to know what's going to happen next. I want more of the story. Tell me more. Um, I'm, I'm hooked. 
where if I'm, if I'm just given more of the same, is it really something I want to continue to read for me? I want more of something different in yeah. that sense. Well, and the opposite too, of obviously the, the last issue we looked at issue 59 and the, the first appearance of Guy Gardner is we mentioned that there wasn't conflict in the issue, right? Mm-hmm. And they tried to deal with race in a way of having kids with blue and orange robots fighting each other to delineate their, their side, so to speak. And now just a couple of years later, yeah. we have such a stark contrast to this where they're actually taking racial issues head on in the book. And they had been before this issue, but now we're looking at issues like implicit bias, like Hal's inherent bias, like, hey, I've been fighting for these folks. Why does this guy have such a chip on his shoulder? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's you're right even there. getting a little bit of like white savior mentality in here. I do want to point something out on page six, too, that I think is really okay. important. I to how John Stewart is portrayed in later comics. So they sit down and Hal's explaining to him what it's like to be a Green Lantern. And so Hal Jordan asks John if he's interested. And he says, considering jobs aren't exactly plentiful for black architects in the land of the free these days, and I haven't worked in weeks, so time's not a problem. Later on, John Stewart is rewritten as being an army veteran and, and a war hero and even almost like a space Marine. Uh-huh. And here there's none of that in the origin story. He's an okay. architect. Interesting. Yeah. And he's educated. Yeah. And intelligent. Yeah. And not the stereotype, right? He's not portrayed as a stereotype, right? Like mm-hmm. as a basketball player. Yeah. He's, he's not he's portrayed, portrayed as a stereotype, right? As a, He's everything but the stereotype of that. He's a he's he's an educated person with a very different background, like a you know a very different backstory than what you would perceive. And here, Hal's perceiving him as this hot-headed man with a mm-hmm. chip on his shoulder. And as we find out in the story, it turns out like John's a lot smarter than Hal. Yeah, he's he's a person who sees things slightly different. And for good reason. He's, he's had to. Well, and he's an architect, right? Like yeah. he sees, he, he calls himself Square John. Like he sees yeah. around corners, right? Exactly, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and he's able to look at the world in a way that Hal can't conceptualize the world. And for all of Hal's bias, he, all he sees is a stereotype. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he, he definitely did. And this is where I thought the writing was really creative in the sense that if you go back and read it, maybe some of the scripting, you'll cringe when you read it a little bit because it was written in 1971. It was written in 1971 and it has has that feel of it. But at the same point in time, when you're reading it in 2020 or whenever uh, someone listens to this, even, you know, you're you're reading in this in a different time frame. I think it, the story itself holds true. It's it's a person with a with a bias, even if they even if they don't know they're wearing it, uh, judging someone that is different and coming to terms with it. That's what we're learning from Hal Jordan. We're learning from John Stewart that this is a person who has had to uh, move through all these different things, and that's why they're carrying this this chip. And it's it's like, it, but it, the dialogue shows that. Uh, you know, that it's, 
it's just what it is. You know, the, the, the way that they are, are having their discussions and stuff like that through the book. It's, it's not, it's not necessarily bad. I don't find it bad. I don't find it. I don't find any other way that it's script. The script is structured uh, to be, uh, it doesn't turn me off from wanting to read more of the story or wanting to jump into it and, or tell people to check it out. I, I find it uh, a nice snapshot. I love stuff from this era because it is so rich with something different than what we're used to. And I like the way that it's pushing that boundary for that time frame. And one of the, the unique parts too, in the storytelling to, to back your play here is, is the idea that when we're looking at it, John Stewart as a, is a human right? Regardless of race, he does refer to himself as a black man on the next page on page seven, but he's so open and honest about who he is Mm -hmm. that he's endearing. And I think this is why the character gets brought back. And one of the things he says is he, he says, you know, that he won't wear any mask when Hal Jordan tries to give him the mask. He says this black man lets it all hang out. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) Right. That is that, and that's I, I like that about his character. He's he's himself. He owns that. That's who he is. And so, whether it's successful, not successful, has a job, doesn't have a job, whether he referring to his Salvation Army suit that he bought for his architect interviews, or he's you know looking at things, he just is is completely honest about who he is. And. and I, I, I see that from from a different perspective too. That like you know if somebody sees him on the street and they need that hero they're going to see that hero they're not wondering who that hero is if that makes sense you know right not seeing a masked person a masked person as the hero they're seeing john stewart as the green lantern and and he's going to live his way in society whether society wants that or not Mm -hmm. which is really going to be telling as we get into the next couple of pages and and how relevant this is to now so we'll go ahead and, and flip ahead and they a plane's landing and there's some VIPs on it and there is a senator on the plane. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they save a few folks from a truck and John Stewart accidentally sprays the senator, accidentally in quotes, sprays the senator <laughs> with some oil from the truck. Whoopsie. Yeah, whoopsie, and and why does he do it? Uh, first, you know, Hal's yelling at him that he's stupid and irresponsible, and John just fires back, yeah, that Winbayak wants to be president, and he's a racist. Yep. And he figures on climbing to the White House on the on the backs of my people. And completely open and honest about why he didn't, there's no subterfuge, it's just like, I did this, and yep. this is why. And certainly no politicians right now. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. So definitely this book is not relevant to now at all in any possible way. Oh, no, not at all. And I'm pretty sure if, if, a, book, <laughs> if a book like this was written in a time frame like now, oh boy, the heat it would get. Well, and it did get heat then too, oh, but yeah. I will say, yeah. and, and I do like the interplay though, because of the honesty of the time, right? In the yeah. script, you know, yeah. Hal fires back when, when John calls him whitey and says, don't call yeah. me that, right? Like yeah. 
Um, so they're able to, you know, they're having this screaming match, but they're firing back with each other. And screaming mm-hmm. matches, by the way, were a characteristic of this era. There was actually one comic where Hal Jordan and and the, and, and the Green Arrow get in a fight in a river and they knock each other out. Yeah. Um, and the villain gets away. So, uh, you know, it's very common that these these political arguments would get heated in the case of, of Oliver and Hal and that issue to the point of violence. So it doesn't get heated to the point of violence here, but there's definitely some distrust and there's definitely some ultimatums being laid down by the, the white space cop, right, to his new recruit. I think like in in any type of story like this where you're you're – talking about seeing things differently or you're trying to get someone to see something in your own view and not to like, I I just watched the movie they live recently and uh, you've got that, that just fantastic fight scene, right? You got uh, this, this whole entire fight scene and it's just literally two guys just beating them, beating each other up, but it's all over trying to see the world. (laughs) <laughs> and and that's that's what the screaming match is between between them is they're they're trying they're they're just yelling at each other so they can both see something just the other side of the coin right <laughs> and so now we'll get into what they're actually seeing in the last a few pages here so it goes 13 pages and the next few pages are really telling of the world that each sees mm-hmm. so you have Hal Jordan, who I keep calling the the space cop. Yeah, space cop. Hal Jordan, uh, very similar to the way Denny O'Neill wrote the character through since issue seventy six. He sees things in front of him, and, and that's what he sees. So he can see what's in front of him, and what he sees is the senator giving a speech. And he sees an African man, American man stand up and shoot a gun at the senator, screaming uh, that the senator will die for his lies and immediately takes off after the man, the would-be assassin. He's, he's already, yeah, he's already made up his mind. That is the, you know, that's what I got to go do. Gotta go that stop is who's guilty. Yeah. Got to stop. The, I got to stop the gunman. I got to stop the gunman. Gun. Got to go. And, and how do, how do, you know, how would a police officer respond to a gunman with their own weapon, right? With a gun. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is the, in this case, it's a ring gun, right? His yeah. space cop gun is his, his power ring. And so, you know, for the time too, you know, if we're looking at relevance to now, right? These issues are still being discussed because society hasn't solved them yet. Yeah. And so racism still alive. We still have people misinterpreting and misreading things. And we still have manipulation happening in the political system as like this that we'll see in a minute. Mm-hmm. But they're able to capture this in a comic book so they can dial back our defenses a little bit, right? When you're reading yeah. a comic book, your defenses aren't as up as, say, when you're reading a news story. So in a lot of ways, Denny O'Neill's writing here and the art that Adams adds to this people's defenses are down. So you can combat racism in a way you might not be able to combat in other mediums. 
Well, yeah. And as you're looking at it too, as you're, as you're pulling these panels back, you're, when you're reading something, sometimes you glaze over it, you jump ahead, you read through the, you read through a couple paragraphs, you might skip something over, but when you're, when you're looking through this and you're seeing the visual storytelling, you're able to kind of go back over it once or twice. And you, you don't tend to miss as much in a comic seeing how this is laid out. I think it's it's one of those things where your your brain doesn't allow that when you're reading an article. Um, sometimes you miss you you hit the headline uh, and you think you know everything. Sometimes you know, and we see that in modern day. I'm just gonna say, you know, like in in modern day news, people people get the tagline and they're 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 good to go. They don't need to read too long. Didn't read, but in a comic or or something like that, they they tend to follow through a little bit more, a little more thorough. One from a from an argument standpoint too, you're arguing with with the news article, but it's much harder for people to argue with somebody's personal narrative. Mm-hmm. And in this respect, you're getting both of these individuals' personal narrative about what's going on in these events. So John hangs back and he goes to the parking lot, and he finds a man with a gun, and he instead of chasing the man down, uses the ring to disable the gun and then captures him inside of a, a, a glowing green block from the ring. Ooh, a block. And, which is cool. I like how he's holding cool. up in the sky. And he presumably saves one of the same officers that was harassing him earlier in the story. Yep, yep. But Hal comes back and tells him, you're a disgrace to the uniform. You're the ring yourself. I warned you because Hal's worldview is that John completely ignored what was going on in front of him. Mm-hmm. Cause he saw, was, yeah. totally, he, he saw it in a different way and he was like, no, this is what I saw. And this is how I, you know, you ran off. You didn't, you didn't obey. And Hal is overtly violent toward John. He grabs the uniform. He wants to pull it from him. Mm-hmm. And, John just responds with, hey, I spotted this earlier. I saw this and you didn't. I saw the gunman. He's a fake. He was hanging out with the senator. I saw that I knew there were blanks in this gun and they they check it out. And John says, I went and I went and solved the crime while you were chasing after nothing, basically. Mm-hmm. Chasing after nothing, after shadows. And, you know, and that's in the last the last panel uh, where Hal looks at him and says the implicit racism still there. I'll admit, John, your style turned me off. I was I was more than ready to stick blame on you. And John just says, no sweat it, pal. Only style isn't important any more than color. Mm hmm calling out the implicit bias. Right. He doesn't like his style because, you know, he just links them together right there. And. I think the notion that Denny O'Neill was able to put this together in a story is amazing, especially in 13 pages, because yeah. I care, I care more about John Stewart in these 13 pages than I did about Guy Gardner in issue 59 in 23 pages. Oh yeah. After these 13 pages, I was like, give me another story stat. And then I flipped the next page and I'm like, I was, I knew, I knew there's an arrow story coming but I was I was really hoping for more John Stewart. 
you know, <laughs> that's <Right>. like, <laughs> and that is, that was, that's, that, that's really telling when you, you know, what's coming next, but what you're craving is more of the John of more John Stewart, more of his green lantern story, because it is that compelling and that good of a read. You want to know what is going on, where is he going next and how will he fit into this universe? So how far do we want to dig into the Green Arrow story? I, I want to highlight it a little bit. It was, yeah. I, I, time, there's a time time wise. I mean, we've got enough time to kind of just kind of hit hit the high points. We'll hit the high notes on it, um, and all, and uh, because it is it is important. It dovetails off of this story that we just covered pretty well, and they wouldn't have put them together if it didn't. So um, though, I do have some pretty major criticisms of this story and. Let's there's one important thing we have to highlight. Okay. First off, different writer. Right. Different writer. Yes, different writer. So Elliot S. Magan is the writer as opposed to Denny O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Same art team. Uh, but we do have a different writer. And we, we basic highlights of the story. Uh, we open up with uh, we open up with Green Arrow kind of contemplating his life trying to figure out if he's doing enough as a superhero. And we find out that the mayor of uh, the mayor wants to resign. He's tired. He, he can't handle star city. Star city is too got, much for him. It's, it's too stressful. Star city is a big place. It's got a lot going on, you know, it's too and much work. Paying attention and wondering where the mayor storylines came in both the Green Arrow comics in the 2000s and, of course, on the Arrow show. Here you have the origins of it right here. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're looking at Green Arrow goes out and he's dissatisfied with his life. And out of the blue, uh, the party in charge that was certainly not linked to a specific political party at all. No. Uh, ask this philanthropist, former, ph- ph- this philanth- can I say the word philanthropist? philanthropist? There we go. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, to, to uh, be the mayor uh, right after he saves a cute little dog for a little boy from being run over by a train. Yeah. And he's like, mm, okay. Mm, uh, what <laughs> what well and i think you know one of the ways too to think about green arrow is he is this hero but he's he's constantly failing and remember we're, we're coming off the issue where he really just failed in life and this is why he's contemplating it because you find out his own he considers this a failure right he finds out his own son mm-hmm. is addicted to heroin and he didn't even know yeah and he basically alienates his own son like he punches him in the story yeah, he's uh, he's making bad he's making bad choices left and right in in that sense in the parental sense, and you know this is this is definitely a reflection story of you know of where uh, he's sitting back and you got Oliver wondering am I am I making the right choices with my life. Uh, or am I, do I need to, do I really need to be, uh, introspective and, 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 and think about everything and, 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 and give things up to make better choices. Cause that's what, I mean, that's, what's been going on since that issue. 
But because he's doubting himself, he calls everybody he knows to find out if they think he should run for mayor. And he, yeah, because, you know, he's a mess. <laughs> and they all tell him no, um, which is a great thing. You have Black Canary tells him no. You have Bruce Wayne wearing Daisy Dukes next to a swimming pool telling him no. That, that is a, such a good image of Bruce. I want more Bruce Wayne, more Daisy Dukes. More, more Bruce Wayne, Daisy Dukes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hal Jordan tells him no. My brother's a district attorney. No, this will drive you crazy. And of course, Superman dismisses it. Which is, I think, one of the most hilarious Superman moments ever. Clark Kent's like, uh, where would you uh, have a secret identity if two blonde bearded public figures were running around town? Which actually they <laughs> use in the Arrow series. But also yes. Superman and his freaking glasses are criticizing somebody else's secret identity. Right. Um, awesome. I, I do love, I, I like how you... Or that's you, not you O'Neill, that's Magan. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like how you you make the comment or the you know tie it together that this is where like a lot of the um the C dub uh uh TV show you know pulls from and it's and it's so good to know that the the you know that this is this is definitely right there because like as I was reading through this I'm like oh man I know the story <laughs> yeah well and and they pulled from right they pulled from some of the comic stuff too so oh yeah. And of course, you get the beautiful Mike Girl stuff in the '80s too with Green yeah. Arrow as well. Oh, oh my God! Yeah, no, that was it. Some of that stuff is so great, and it's just like oh, so good. It makes and we'll you wonder. Make sure though, we visit that at some yeah. point. Yeah, just it really makes you wonder in this day and age: would the Green would would Oliver Quinn be playing Animal Crossing? <laughs> Probably not. Stuck on an island. <laughs> People come and visit once in a while. I don't know. Well, and so we get, it gets a couple, and, and here's where my criticism kind of starts, Greg, because okay. we go from this story that's about an independent person who happens to be African-American who stands up for himself, right? Yes, yes. To a white savior coming in to save the city. Yeah, he's a white knight. And... Of course, he he goes to break up a riot. He accidentally gets hit with a giant board. Uh, he wakes up. The kid that hits him with the board uh, apologizes. And then that kid gets shot in the back. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't save him. And so his solution is, because I couldn't save you as a hero... And the art yeah. is crazy good, by the way. I don't want to underestimate this. Yeah. Like, don't glaze over his, that his despair like when you get to page 12 how the panels get bigger and bigger so it it moves through and the panels go through and they highlight him they highlight the the Mm -hmm. neil adams doc neil adams in the giordano inking on the doctor that gives him the news and they there are no word bubbles it's just that and I think that's what like that right there brings out the the depth of the situation so much uh, to the reader, uh, to us as the reader. And, you know, it's such a dramatic way of telling the story. You just, you, you're getting that internal monologue that, that Quinn's going through and you're like, uh, what you keep messing up, dude. (laughs) And, and he, and he's and and it's just, everything is just so it's, it's very, it's very tight. Right. And 
it, the bubble, the, the, the bubbles aren't there for the, for, there's no dialogue. The images keep getting bigger, but the idea that is there, it's so heavy and so crushing that you feel so small and so insignificant because the emotion is so large as well. Well, and the, the, the thing on page 12 too, when you get him crying is you literally are seeing that Robin hood failed Sherwood forest. Oh, heck yeah. Right. Because that is like, he's Robin hood at this point. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's it. And, and you're getting Robin hood with the nightmare ending, right? Yeah. The force is on fire. Right. (laughs) And it's, and uh, so of course, what does he do? Uh, you get the epilogue and it's the epilogue title is what can one man do? And he's like, well, you know, I screwed all this other stuff up, but I'm going to go ahead and run from there. The end. Yep. That's it. That's the only thing he can do. And, and it's. <laughs> go ahead. The pretty lady dialogue at the end too. Yeah. It's just like, come on. Uh, this character is so flawed yet. He thinks he's going to save everybody by being mayor and calling Dinah pretty lady at the end of the story. Maybe he will. Maybe he will. We don't know. We do know, actually. We do know. We do know. Uh, <laughs> we do know. And and here's what I can tell you. So there's a couple things about this. I know we said we'd revisit some of the sales numbers here. Yeah. So this book lasts two more issues. Uh, the next issue is a reprint. And of old stories. And then there's a, a final issue after that final issue, they go to backups in flash and green arrow actually goes off to live in a monastery. Uh. So the mayor thing didn't work out so well. And uh, if you are familiar with Connor Hawk, uh, that's where Connor Hawk was conceived. So green arrow wasn't always super faithful to the black canary. Nope. And the the monastery stories, the mayor story here, a lot of it is is drawn upon uh, for the Green Arrow mythos. So a lot of these small stories and backup stories, even though the book was canceled and then they go to backup stories in the Flash, uh, were used to build the Green Arrow mythos and are still being used. Interesting, interesting. So like it only lasted two more two more issues. Wow. And so let's look at some of the sales. So let's look at why. Yeah. Uh, yeah let's why? look at some of the sales numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book was catching on. It had almost stabilized. Uh, however, remember the sales numbers. So I'm not going to go on the subscriptions this time. We're going to go on the total okay. sales numbers. So the total sales numbers in 68 were 222,000. <laughs> total sales numbers in 69 were 221,000. Oof. Total sales numbers in 1970 were 151,442. Mm. So you're looking at a 50,000 book drop off, uh, which yeah. is why they would let O'Neill and Adams take over the book and do what they wanted with it. Uh, they stabilized it. It was 147, 188 in the last reported numbers in 71. And of course it was canceled in 72. Uh, the last, uh, one with the 47, 147 did not mm-hmm. have subscription numbers because they canceled the Green Lantern subscriptions because they canceled the book. So they weren't reporting subscription numbers at that point. So I don't have 
how many subscriptions it had dropped off to you, but if they're canceling the book because it doesn't have subscriptions, that's really telling of what's going on. Yeah. The book relaunches in 1976 uh, with the same creative team, at least temporarily. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, Mike Grell would go on to replace Adams as the artist down the road, especially for Green Arrow as Adams went on to draw some of the famous Batman covers and things like that that you see later, mm-hmm. like the one with the Joker and the giant card. So yes. you get a lot of that later. This is a pretty fitting way, I guess, is second to last issue to end off a book that was taking on a lot of important issues. It's taking off so taking on so many important issues and then to watch it just kind of, or to, to know that it in, in two, two issues, two issues later, (laughs) it would be over. (laughs) And when it comes back, it doesn't have the exact same effect. Uh, So more of the traditional villains are back and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it didn't have quite the same effect. And it eventually John Stewart does become uh, the green lantern and John Stewart was the green lantern during crisis. And there's an interesting fact I would just want to share so John Stewart uh, was the reason they got rid of Guy Gardner, right? Yeah. Throwaway character. You dismiss Throw a character, character, replace He's the gone. character. Yep. Well, Steve Englehart, uh, after Crisis, uh, knew they were going to bring back Hal Jordan. Uh-huh. And so as the artist, he recommended, why don't we just have multiple Green Lanterns from Earth? Multiple Let's Green Lanterns? Hal. Multiple Green Lanterns. Let's bring back Hal. Let's have Guy too. What? And so... Guy ends up say the character of Guy Gardner being reinvented ends up saving mm-hmm. the John Stewart character. Uh, and that's how they justified having multiple Green Lanterns on Earth, because the theory before was you couldn't have any more than one or two per sector. So, yeah, you can only have one. And, mm-hmm. and now we have multiple Green Lanterns. So it, it's weird how the, the characters interplay over time, because the character that was the throwaway character that introduced the new character ends up coming back. So the other character can stay to help the other character. Yeah, it's I I could see I could see how that would be confusing, but also helpful for for the unique brand of storytelling that they would go on to do and in, in keeping these characters alive with their rich stories, because each one of these characters has the ability to, to bring very rich stories. Guy Gardner. I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. Well, Guy Gardner, though, was the blankest slate. And I think yeah. that's one of the things we mentioned on episode 247. Yeah. When we were talking about uh, the Justice League America issue and mm-hmm. the fight of the century, fight of the day, whatever it ended up being. Yeah, fight of the week. Fight of the week. And the uh, uh, Keith Giffen notes, and we'll talk about this on the next episode, too. We're going to look at. Uh, Countdown to Infinite Crisis is an 80-page giant on the next episode. And Keith Giffen took some criticism for some of his Justice League writing, but he acknowledged that he just didn't have a lot of history with some of the characters like Blue Beetle or Guy Gardner. Well, this Guy Gardner had some history, uh, but Keith Giffen's idea was, hey, I'm going to create characters and personalities for these folks that don't have a lot of history. So mm-hmm. when you have a throwaway character in that sense or a character with not a lot of, of history to draw from, he could really create a character and make Guy Gardner the character he ended up being. Yeah, that totally that, that makes sense that you would have a, um, a very blank slate and be able to just add whatever you want to it and the templates there and 
it, it makes it very uh, easy to, to utilize and then bringing and, back. Yeah. Well, and I say they even do reference at one point in that series uh, that Guy Gardner was, was injured, <laughs> had a major head injury. And of course that would yeah. be a reference back to the, to the bus incident that yeah. took his personality down. So it's even in the sense that, you know, talking about trauma and how it impacts people and how it impacts their personality. And over time, uh, since that they've been able to do a lot with the guy Gardner character, uh, even introducing, you know, abusive relationships when he was a kid, uh, with his father being an officer of the law. And and he just wanted to do that. And his brothers wanted to do that. And he was sort of berated for not making it. And then he becomes like an interstellar space police officer, right? Space cop. So, it, there's a lot they were able to do with the character and even uh, the Red Lantern uh, Guy Gardner, where yeah. he was fueled by rage instead of his ability to overcome fear mm-hmm. and illustrating that. So they were they've been able to do a lot with the character. And of course, Howard Chaikin, I'm trying to remember the name of the series, but had a couple uh, issue run with the character as well in the 90s. So a lot of folks have taken a crack at this character because he's so unique and you can just do a lot of things with the character. Uh, not, not so bad for a, a one issue throwaway character. Yeah, no, that that's, it's kind of nice to see that, you know, continues to come back and, and, and makes his way back into the storyline, makes his way back into the fold. I like to know that John Stewart as well, like you said, and highlighted uh, many different uh, renditions and you see him, popping back up uh, through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even currently today. And of course, the Green Lantern Mosaic series, I referenced one of the best where Jon Stewart is literally trying to hold civilizations together on a planet uh, and starts to realize what the limitations are inside of himself. Mm -hmm. as he literally deals with different cultures and trying to link them together. And if you've never taken a look at that series, it's absolutely essential. If you're looking for more comics, trying to take cultural issues and race head on and and deal with those issues. Very cool. Very cool. I think you've given our listeners some definite, uh, things to take note of some definite food for thought food for the food for the mind food for the soul and so as we as we we begin to wrap this episode up greg tell me uh how would an issue like this where you take a character like guy gardner Mm -hmm. who is a white redheaded male and replace that character with an african-american character how would that issue be received today how would it be received today i think you would have obviously two 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 different camps you'd have a camp of people who were super excited and jacked to get that character to see that story to have that story told because that's the story they've been waiting for they needed to hear they've wanted to see and uh they would want to uh to have that told but they would also want it to be told from the right perspective so you have to have the right creative team behind it uh so that would be that would also be key and essential secondly you have a a a a group of people that probably might not be as open to that. And um, there would be definitely a, a divide in the, the comic book series uh, in the readership, uh, you know, and if you don't want to read that story, you don't have to pick it up. There's a lot of other stories for you to read. <laughs> That's my take on it. There's yeah. a lot of other stories for you to read. That I feel the in. same way. 
I've, I've been a, of course, if you listen to this, you know, I'm a huge Legion of Superheroes fan. Uh, Legion of Superheroes have been around since the Silver Age. There's a character called Lightning Lad. As they've written him over time, he's from a planet called Wynith. Uh, and on the planet Wynith, it's very warm there. They grow crops and people walk around uh, in, depending on the era of the comic, very scantily clad or undressed completely. And in the newest uh, Brian Michael Bendis iteration with the beautiful arts from Ryan Sook, uh, they colored Lightning Lad's pigmentation as if he came from a planet where the sun shined all the time, where he formerly used to be a very pale skinned red hand man to now has a pigment of somebody who would walk around in the sun often. And people freaked out. I got off some Facebook groups over this. They're like, you know, how dare they recolor this character? And I'm just like, if you, if that's really what you have to complain about, (laughs) that people in the 30th century, a thousand years from now would have different skin color based on the planet they lived in and pigmentation and how melanoin interacts with the skin pigment. This is your issue. Yeah. And, and and this is what you're freaking out about, Uh man. That's, I just, I had to get out of some of those groups. It, it, it just was a little much. It's like you said, just, just read something else at that point. Yeah. I mean, it, you, can call the manta- you can call the manager all you want, but uh, you know what? They're not going to pick up the phone. This is the story that, that somebody wants to tell. And this is the story that somebody wants to hear. So <laughs> there's people. Well, out and if there. you, if you look back to, I mean, and I, and I criticized Julie Schwartz a little I, praise Julia Schwartz a little bit, but we'll also criticize. And if you go back to uh, through the Superman office of DC editorial, there were not African-American characters. It was crazy in Legion. You know, there was orange characters and blue characters. Literally. Mm -hmm. I think they make the joke about it in the green lantern book. Right. Yeah. And that was in the Legion book in the future. There were no, uh, nobody of African descent in Legion until God, the late seventies, early eighties. And mm-hmm. no consistent character until 82. And oh, wow. it's just insane that, that, you know, all these characters on earth, nobody w- or, and all these planets, <laughs> you wouldn't have different skin colors. This is crazy. Yeah. Uh, different pigmentation. Right. So mm-hmm. it's just very interesting to see some of the comic community's response. And, and of course there's the group that I won't honor a name yeah. of today, but attacking comics and, and creators for literally just writing stories that are realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's, I, I find it, it's, you know, there's comics. If you look at the history of comics from the get go, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of stories that are told for, for specific reasons and stuff like that. And it, sometimes it's just hard to get certain stories out based on barriers and other things like that. And we're at a time and a place where, take those barriers down, let those stories be told. So, but Get we've also there. rebuilt some of those barriers yeah. in the, in the current political sphere. And here you have a book from written in 1971, addressing the same barriers that we're facing now. Mm-hmm. It's true. And, and maybe we need and to take a look back. Solved. We need, maybe we need to take a look back and see why those barriers were addressed. And maybe we need to write more books like that. And of course, too, I think one of the reasons that the John Stewart character prevailed over time, right? Because it was, he, he's such a compelling character in the narrative. 
and doesn't hide who he is and stands up to that authoritarianism and implicit bias that exists in society. And that's an important part of that narrative that we're sharing. Just weird that now if somebody addresses that narrative with a, an existing character from somewhere else, it's just mm-hmm. not allowed to happen. You, you're just, you're just not allowed to do that. Yeah. And I don't know why a storyteller isn't allowed to tell a story. That's a good question. And it's, it's interesting. Uh, it, it's uh, from, from, a, from the perspective that I am in uh, being one of being a storyteller uh, and it's hard to, it's, it's hard to put a finger on, you know, I guess it's just because we, it, maybe, maybe it's those numbers we were talking earlier. Maybe some numbers make sense for the people making these things. And maybe some numbers don't make sense for the people making these things. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> well, I think, you know, numbers and sales obviously play a part, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You have sales figures driving. You also have, but there's so much more now, right? You have, the movie adaptation version of the character. So I, I don't mean to pick on Marvel and Disney, but when actually I, I would pick on Marvel and Disney uh, and Captain Marvel shows up right mm-hmm. in the book, the new Ms. Marvel sort of disappears in the comics. Okay. And why? Well, because you have a different portrayal and you don't want the characters to be confused on screen in the comics. Okay. But then you take a groundbreaking Ms. Marvel character away. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's praised everywhere. And then you take that away (laughs) and uh, then you can have another character. And so a fantastic story, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic story. And so to get a movie that's, I'm not going to criticize the movie. So that's all right. I mean, but it's, again, it is what it is. The movie is what it is. And the, the, the comic was amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not that it was a bad movie. It's just, it doesn't hold up versus the other story (laughs) in my mind. So you, you have a lot of things where we are making decisions based on older characters or what you're bringing in and it ends up hurting somebody's ability to tell a story too. And of course that's why independent comics are so important, right? Because Mm -hmm. that frees people up to tell their story. But then of course, when you have groups on the internet, go after those independent creators that creates another whole problem with that narrative. So, and, and you see it in the, in, in, you know, I mean, you see it on both sides of the spectrum too. independent creators creating their own comics, uh, via Kickstarters or Indiegogo's or whatever, or even if it's a mainstream publisher publishing a comic, they're also taking the heat it's, and, and people are, people are just going to, they're going to go after creators and publishers. And if it's, if it's a big place or a small place, regardless for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and one of the most, you know, uh, widely known was the the lawsuit against Mark Wade. Right. And, obviously turned out in the right way from my perspective, but yeah, you just, you, you you shouldn't have to worry about stuff like that when you're telling a story, but we just do. And so that's where going back and reading some of these stories, I think is very important to make sure you understand both the history of comics, but you also know based on that history that these stories existed and it isn't some magical agenda from right now that's trying to program you to think a different way. 
it's that these stories have existed for 50 years. And you can't just magically wish them away with some sort of political agenda. They're there. They're out there and people have been telling them. So coming back now and making the claim that, oh, this is a new thing and this is somebody's agenda. Well, you better keep going back through every writer throughout time and questioning those agendas before you go after people now, because those stories exist. Racism is a problem, was a problem, and will continue to be a problem until we actually deal with the issue. Very true. And if you push it away, like it never happened, like these stories never happened, I, I, it, it seems like that's a rewriting of history, not the other way around, right? Yeah. Very true. So on, on, on that positive note, sort of, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, keep the history alive and keep the knowledge of these stories alive because that's how you combat bad and evil things. That's right. And that's what, that is what Guy Gardner, Hal Jordan, and John Stewart were trying to do with their lanterns. They were trying to shine some light in the darkest of places. Well, I'll leave Guy out of it, but we'll definitely say Hal and John. Hey, on the last episode, we talked about a whole entire robot fighting thing where he created a green robot, stopped the fighting, increased the peace. That, that is true. He stopped the blue and the orange skins from fighting. That's right. Good man. And with that said, uh, Greg, it's probably time to end this one, but we do want you to come right back. Um, gosh, we up to episode 250. Oh my gosh. Episode 250. Who would have thought? Episode 250. Who would have thought we'd get there? And we'll be talking about Countdown to Infinite Crisis. We'll be covering the Silver Slash, uh, Bronze Slash DC version, Ted Cords. Well, multiple stories. That hmm? presumably. Yes. The Blue Beetle, another throwaway character. And we're going to. With Guy Gardner, we looked at the beginning of a throwaway character, the beginning of the story, and not to spoil a book that's been out for like 10, 15 years, but we're going to look at the end of the story for a throwaway character. Yeah. See what happens. Kind of look at both narrative ends. Yeah. Check out that Blue Beetle action. So got lots of great notes, um, and I'm excited. Uh, Read the Blue Beetle Companion uh, by Chris Irving. Got a lot of good notes about this on there, so... We're excited to dissect this for you on the next episode. So with that, uh, thank you for joining us on Funny Book Forensics. I'm Dan. I'm Greg. We'll talk to you next time. Talk to you next time.